Hello and welcome to the Monta Weekly Podcasts, bringing you energy matters from the annual e-world trade fair in Essen, Germany. Today we're discussing carbon markets and the European ETS in particular. Carbon prices hit 100 euros earlier this year a couple of, on a couple of occasions and uh, at the moment we're trading around 85 euros. What's next? What can we expect in the coming months? And what are the main drivers for prices? I'm Richard Sverson, and joining me today is Paula Van Langingham of, of ELSEG and Florian Rotenberg of ICIS. Um, a warm welcome to you both. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Now, um, I mentioned prices, um, and we're currently trading in the ETS, in the European Emissions Training uh, Scheme, uh, at around 85 euros. Uh, what, what are the, the main drivers at the moment, Florian? Yeah, I mean, we have seen quite a case, like almost one and a half years of price discovery, right? I mean, the bullish run is over. The one-way street is over, in a way. After the invasion um, last year, prices collapsed, and then we always have been in that range, 80 to 100 euro. And I think right now is narrowing it down a bit to 85 euros, something where we would also say that is fundamentally justified. And I think, really, it's that end of political uncertainty, to one extent. Um, but I would not say that the uncertainty is over. Um, so we have a lot of uncertainties, especially in the short term, speaking about industry, and in the long term, speaking about also the speed of transition that is possible in Europe. Um, so at the moment, also, the market is really looking for directional views while having these long term uncertainties at the same time. When you say political uncertainty, what do you mean? Uh, I mean, mostly referring to the Fit for 55 process, which finalized this year. I mean, we had three years of discussion around how to adjust the system, how to make it suited to reach 55% uh, emission reduction by uh, 2030. Um, and of course, that brought a lot of uncertainty to the market because then suddenly last year also, you had all that discussion about repower EU, can we bring more volume potentially from the market stability reserve? Policymakers were basically discussing everything that was put up on an agenda by someone. And I think that is uncertainty because you had that directive, that ETS directive open and uh, everything could change, which could have like a big factor in both directions, right? Uh, and that, that is definitely the political uncertainty. Absolutely. Um, Florian mentioned the narrowing spread there, Paul. So it's from, from some 80 to 85 to 100. Um, what would it take to break out of that range? I mean, I think to break out of it in either direction, you're talking about a major, a major shift, a major event in one way or another. So in order on the bullish side, if you have another gas market like you did last year, that could break it out of that space. Um, if you have a major economic event like the negotiations currently ongoing in the U.S. at the moment with no real sign of resolution, that could break it out as well in the opposite direction. Uh, it really just, I think, depends on what factors actually happen. Uh, we talk a lot about uncertainty, and it, it's it's not just uncertainty about what EU policy is. It's also uncertainty, I think, on a broader macro level, which is going to continue to play a role in whether or not the EU ETS can hold within that range going forward. I think that we also see it kind of in that narrow range at the moment, and certainly going into the summer months ahead of the first uh, auctions uh, for Repower EU, you're not really going to see a huge amount of price drivers from sort of the commission side of that. So any changes are really going to be more macro than anything else. So, so keep keep your eyes peeled on the on the macro picture, the bigger global picture. Is that what you're saying? In addition to what Florian talked about, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, oh, cool. Do you, I mean, do you think we'll see 100, 100 euros again this year? 
I th- I, that, it's an excellent question, right? And I, I think sort of to the broader point, yes, if you have a gas market like you had last year. At the moment, gas prices are really quite low. And so that is a, obviously an enormously bearish indicator for the EU ETS because we're at that point where you're we, uh, looking at fuel switching. So if you actually see gas prices kind of surge like you did last year, then you could potentially touch that 100 euro mark again. But at the moment, a lot of the major factors, at least in the medium term, short to medium term, are more on the bearish side than anything else. Again, barring some major macro macro event. What's your view here, Florian? Yeah, I mean, we have always been saying that prices not necessarily go to 100, but you can always be wrong in this market, right? Uh, and I think there's always these technical levels and these psychological levels that you can reach and the market has been very very tight and especially given what Paula said on the on the gas market side uh, having these high emission from the power sector that really has been a driver also to the upside last year quite a lot but at the same time also we got these macro buries and especially I would disagree in the point that you made what happens if we go back to gas price of 100 euro for example I would say that could be even a bearish sign for UAs because we had so many shutdowns because of high energy costs. Now we see, for example, the steel sector slowly returning, but they will stop returning as soon as we go gas price of 100 euro again. Chem- the chemical sector, similar story, they still shut down. And there's also like a bit of worries that they will never open up again. Like ammonia production in Europe, is it really competitive against ammonia produced in the US, for example? So I think it, it links a bit to the macro picture you're also painting. And I would say that market participants by now are also, you always have that, and I agree with you, of the short-term driver, more coal burn. But I would argue that this fades a bit looking forward, and I think market participants already last year have not priced it to the bullish extent uh, one could have expected, especially on the high, where we had uh, lignite plants opening up again, where we had a lot of coal capacity, where actually right now this summer might close again. So. Uh, but I mean, that's just an opposing view. I think also market participants probably not fully, fully agree on that. So I think it's it's a, it's a school of thought in the end, right? So it's, I think, a technical balance about weighing whether or not the actual economic impact on production and manufacturing for higher energy prices is going to outweigh the higher energy prices themselves, right? It's a pretty fine balance. And I think it's it's not surprising that there are different views on the market there. I agree. Yeah, we've talked... Um, about gas and that's obviously a global commodity uh, Paula but uh, you know is that what's going to be the effect on the market going forward more, are you seeing more gas burn coming in or or and what would be the effect is that going to have um, more of a bearish impact because people are switching from the lignite and coal plants that that Flora mentioned. I mean, you also have to factor in the amount of renewables that are coming into the market right now as well. The, the weather has been quite mild and most recent weather forecasts are showing a fairly good wind potential and solar potential, at least through the summer months as well. So you're going to see quite a lot of renewables powering that grid in lieu of gas on top of the lower gas prices. So it, that, of course, has an additional bearish impact when you think about the fact that not only are you switching away from lignite and coal, you're also switching away in some cases from from a larger gas burn as well. So again, that's more of a medium sort of term view kind of through the through the summer space, but it's and it could go either way in the winter. But it's, I think, broadly speaking, part of the bearish signal as well, again, because we're going to see so much additional renewable power potentially hitting the grid uh, throughout June, July, and August. I mean, I can just agree on this. Like, we, we look also at power sector emissions on on a very frequent level, on a daily level. And I have been quite worried since, la- like, last year I was 
saying like power emissions are going to explode and then Q4 happened, we got all that industrial disruption and now power emissions are actually quite low. We could see 2020 levels again this year. Um, and I think you definitely mentioned the driver behind that, that fast renewable build out. And this is not only sending a bearish signal in the medium term, but also in the long term, if we can really manage to get renewables online that fast, uh, obviously it helped a lot with the 2030 targets in the end as well. So 2020 emission levels, I mean, that, that's uh, at the moment. I mean, in the power sector, exactly. Yeah, mainly due to, to the massive rollout or the, the, the production from renewables. Exactly, production from renewables, we still have a higher degree of coal burn. And now if we look at summer, we get a bit of fuel switching in because the gas storages will be full by then. Um, then we can definitely target a level of uh, emissions that we have seen in 2020 the last time in the power sector. And 2020 was both COVID plus fuel switching, right? To, I mean, 2020 that, was, yeah. yeah. It's a potential. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Uh, currently, our forecast is still above that. But uh, but that's the intention of the ETS, isn't it? To bring emission levels down. So uh, incentivizing more renewables coming into the market, then that's, that can only be a positive thing yeah. in a way. Um, Unless you're, uh, you're, you, you have a net long position, maybe. But uh, what's your view in the medium, medium to longer term, Paula? Um, I think we sort of see it at these levels for a fair, fair, for a fair while. Um, definitely a bit range bound. I think the expectation, of course, going to 2030 is you're going to start to see a, a much higher rise in overall EU ETS prices, which is fairly expected above 150. We've had that forecast for quite a while. Um, there are a number of different factors that could influence that view. Again. Uh, depending on the speed of renewable rollout. Uh, there are more industries coming into the ETS shipping, for example, that's going to add another demand factor that isn't necessarily as large as some of the other ones, but could be you know, not insignificant, potentially. Um, uh, for the impact for the inclusion of, of the maritime sector. It's definitely a bullish factor, right? Because it's a much bigger demand. It's, it, it, it's, it's an additional sector of demand. And, and shipping, de shipping demand and shipping emissions are not necessarily large per boat, but as a sector, it can be quite significant. So I think that that is very much a bullish factor going forward. Uh, but whether or not it's a bullish factor can to continue that momentum well into sort of the 2020s and 2030s. We'll see. I mean, what, what's your view? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, medium to longer term perspective, including, you know, maritime. Yeah, I mean, uh, maritime in general, I think I can just agree with Paula. I think uh, that's spot on. I mean, it's a bullish factor. Some of them are starting to buy probably right now already. Of course, we get more supply in, but overall, the balance for the maritime sector is short. Um, and in the medium to long term, however, we have our base scenario is actually quite neutral overall. Uh, we see actually renewable targets being reached by 2030 um, and we see that there's economic possibility to lower carbon emission plus the factor that industry to some extent uh, might, uh, yeah, uh, might have to close down production to a low extent. But this also contributes, of course, to reaching the climate target in the end. So we have a neutral view on the market. But we also see that upside risk uh, in, in other scenarios as well, which we don't necessarily see as the most likely scenarios. But um, that 150 euro level is also definitely possible, especially if industry is not able to adapt. Um, I don't worry too much about the power sector, but industry is definitely, um, yeah, if they, are don't, if they are not adapting, we need higher carbon prices. Uh, uh, harder to abate industries uh, are, are going to be the sticky solution, right? And the, the targets are extremely ambitious for them. So that's a big technological rollout in a relatively short amount of time. Um, again, if those emissions targets are met, then it could be lower, significantly lower. But if they're not, then we see that higher carbon price. Which, are the, which industries um, are you thinking in particular? Steel making, of course, is the one that everyone talks about. Cement. Um, 
the energy industry <laughs> is a big one. We're, we're here at eWorld today. We're, 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 yeah, exactly. We're, we're getting there, but we're not quite there No, yet. no, exactly. All of, those, all of those industries are very hard to abate, right? And so there, there, there are, there is always going to be some measure of emissions as part of them. It's about getting it as low as possible and meeting those emissions targets. And they are very ambitious, not unachievable. So again, that will factor into sort of what you actually see in terms of the long-term price. I think our expectation is that those may or may not be hit on time. So, you know, as a result of that, you're likely to see a higher carbon price. And what's been the effect of the, um, uh, the 2.5 billion allowances being invalidated? Or oh, being annulled, sorry. Annulled? Shall I, shall I go first? Yeah. I mean, from a whole perspective, it doesn't have a big impact on the balances because we don't see them coming back from the market stability reserve. But I think this is also a bit of a question of belief. And I think there are models that forecast that they would come back to the market. Um, and of course, then it may, I mean, first of all, it was known since 2017 that those volumes would be invalidated. So it was definitely priced in. Now it just gives a bit of certainty that they are go really going to be invalidated. They will never come back to the market. Um, and there's a upper limit basically on whatever is in the MSR in the future. And I think this is really good for investment certainty because it, even if we get a commission, maybe at some point who wants to bring more volume into the market, there's a limit on it. I think if we get like another repower EU situation, then we have a limit on it. Um, and so invalidating was a necessary move. Um, but I wouldn't say it has a price impact. What's your view here? I think, I think we, we pretty much agree, right? Which is that it, it's been long, long planned and long forecasted. The market has had plenty of time to sort of adapt to it. It's, it's been nice because, you know, in a lot of ways, the commission is very consistent about the way that it actually rolls out these policies. And so as a result of that, it does allow markets to actually adapt over a longer term, um, which again means that once they actually happen, you're not actually looking at a huge schism or a price impact because it's already there and everybody knew it was coming. I mean, another aspect that, you know, market participants look very closely at, and that's, that's the net short positions. Um, and we've seen some of these closed in, in recent weeks. What, what, what does that, what, what kind of effect does that have? Or what, what, what should, what would you read into that? Uh, this is usually one of the drivers for week on week moves uh, where we look at at uh, speculative speculative position holdings and short covering is always giving a lot of upside in the very short term but you also know probably next week is going down again so i would say there was a lot of short, short covering in latest price moves um, and that shows also that like these bullish moves really to the upside to 90 euro are not really sustainable and but at the same time, I would argue like taking a short in this market is also a risky move, right? It shows that. And I mean, if you can have a bearish view, but there is the MSR, uh, there is policy, there is the 555. Maybe you should not bet on the prices really going down to 70 again. And um, yeah, I think taking really active short position is, is something uh, that uh, yeah, has not proven to be really sustainable, maybe for a few players. And Paula, what do you think? Oh, it's definitely an interesting to watch. I, I, I think, I, agreeing with Florian, um, it, when you see those sorts of moves, you're talking about week-to-week -week moves rather than you know month-to-month -month or even year. Definitely not year-to-year. -year. So, so it's not something that necessarily impacts your average buyer under the EU ETS. It's very much sort of a kind of you know, those that you know sort of speculate a bit more in that space. Um, it's again, I think. It, Taking a sort of extremely short view on this market is risky. Most of the long-term factors are bullish or at the very least neutral. So at that point, you're kind of making a pretty big bet down the other way. 
Um, again, that's not to say that it couldn't happen. Like, there are, going back to sort of those macro factors, factors that could actually cause that to happen. Uh, you sort of, you can follow the EU ETS prices very closely linked to, to sort of like the stocks price as well. And so if there's a big change in the banking crisis, if that spreads, for example, that might be a big bearish impact that could drive prices down and see those actually return. But at the moment, most of the medium and long-term factors are to the neutral bullish side of this. So there's not a lot fundamental that would make it go lower, significantly lower anyway. And maybe to add just one point, like anecdotal evidence is also that industry last year was really just waiting for the price to go down again to just buy. I mean, there's anecdotal evidence. I don't trust this. I would never build this into a model. But I, I, th I spoke to a few players that said, yeah, buying the dip was quite a good strategy last year for industry. But, you know, th this market is also, there's been a lot of talk around speculators and the role of speculators in the market. Um, do you expect that to have cooled off or to cool off in, in the sort of coming months and years? Or is that going to come, come back as, and, and haunt the market whenever there's a sudden swing up or a, or, or a, or a drift down? They're always the bogeyman in any market, right? Um, it was it was not as much of a big a, a part of the conversation in 2022, which was actually quite a volatile year, obviously, in, e, in the EUA price, as well as in sort of broader commodity prices more generally. Um, when you heard a lot about the talk about speculators being an influence in the market was the big bull run in 2021. So if you see another version of that, then yes, absolutely, that will be something that comes back into the conversation. At the, there was really no evidence found for that, that that was a big driver of price. It was ultimately a fairly fundamental move, as is evidenced by the fact that it, it continued to hold largely in a volatile way uh, throughout 2022. But it's it's always going to the bet, be the bet noir of, of any sort of market participant, particularly in an emissions trading system. And it will, whether or not it's actually a factor is different than whether or not people will talk about it being a factor. I think it's, it's very, very political, right? I think it was not a question that policymaker really thought speculators are doing any harm to the market. I think they just thought prices are too high and their voters were like just going against them. And right now the ETS directive is not on the high on the political agenda anymore. So I don't expect coming up, though I think we have like a tracker or some like internally we always discuss like Poland actually every year claims that prices are too high. So I think that is a, that's for, for... It's going to come back at some point. Eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe not. I mean, member states are really getting used to the revenues right now. It's I think it just depends on the voters, right? They have to sell it to them. And I mean, there was a huge discussion in ETS that they have like these price limit, which is actually not a price limit. I mean, the market is not traded. We don't need to discuss it. But it was the same topic. Like, you just need to give something to your voters. And if you can blame speculators, then this is a really nice story because like, I mean, it's a scary bit, so. I would add to that as well is that it's, it's, it's something that when you are looking at a massive run higher, which is what happened in 2021, you broke out of what was a narrow trading band, just, you know, like a huge rise in prices. That is something, again, that it becomes a much bigger flashpoint for the political conversation than something like a new narrow trading band like we're seeing now, right? Like, so. It's a newer normal at higher prices, but you get used to that with time. It's the it's the sustained upward trajectory that causes everybody to sort of immediately be able to point to that as the major cause. I would bet it was not the last time that we discussed speculators. So two years not. from now, absolutely not. It will come up again. Absolutely, <laughs> but I, yeah, but I. But I could talk about this, so we could continue talking carbon matters uh, for, 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 for much, lo much longer. But I, we have to draw it to a close now, I'm afraid. Um, you can read 
all the latest carbon news on Montel News covering the, these aspects of the markets that we've discussed today and much, much more. But for now, Florian and Paula, thank you very much for joining the Montel Walkie Podcast. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Richard.